So now I have the pleasure of introducing Charles. He is going to be continuing our series with a really important question. Are you happy? Thank you, Sarah. Hey, happy fall. Good to see everyone. So as Sarah mentioned, I am starting with a question. Are you happy? Are you happy? How happy are you? Very happy. Really. You know, I, I, I guess the, the, uh, the loud voices are the happy ones. The ones that aren't that happy are probably quiet, right? I, I really wasn't sure how you would respond. I'm actually surprised that the answer is very happy. I mean, how many of you say, I am just very happy. I couldn't be happier. Okay, now that's a little more. All right, that's not everyone, okay? And I'm not going to ask you to uh, uh, raise your hand if you're not that happy. Um, so I wouldn't want that done to me. Um, I mean, it's really hard to even measure how happy we are, right? It, it's, I, I just didn't know how people would respond. Happiness is a tricky thing, right? It's hard to predict. It goes up and down. It's screwy. It has no rhyme or reason. I mean, they've done happiness research all over the world. And the findings are kind of strange. It's, it doesn't always give same answers. It doesn't always correlate with anything. For example, Nepal is one of the happiest places on earth. It also happens to be one of the poorest countries in the world. And people just die, <laughs> you know, of like poverty, and yet they're happy. It's just hard to know why that is, right? And it's kind of true here too. It's hard to understand what makes us happy. Doing well doesn't guarantee being happy. I mean, think back a hundred years ago. I mean, compared to a hundred years ago, we are so much better off, right? We have, our standard of living has been continually, on average, continually increasing substantially. We live longer, we are healthier, the parks are better, uh, modern conveniences are amazing, right? Things we didn't have a hundred years ago. Indoor plumbing. Right? I mean, you don't think about it. You wake up in the morning. How many of you turned off the faucet and just went, Oh my God, there's water coming out. hundred years ago, we didn't have that. Oh, I'm so happy I have water. Right? I mean, we have cars. We have internet. We have AC. I mean, by every measure, we are better off. I mean, even 50 years ago. The average annual income in America 50 years ago in the 60s was about $2,000 per person. You know what it is today? It's $48,000. I mean, even accounting for inflation, we are making a lot more dough, you know? But are we happier? I don't know. I mean, in the 60s, we had refrigerators like this. Today, we have like, you know what I mean. I mean, we are better off today. But are we happier? It's hard to say. Many people say 60s were better. Right? You've heard the phrase, 
Make America great again, right? What does that mean? Let's turn back the clock to the 60s, right? That's what people are saying. And it resonated with very many people because so many people feel like we were happier, we were better off back then, even though, you know, our refrigerators were not that great, you know? We didn't have internet. We didn't have all these things, right? And yet, so many people feel like we were happier back then. So, it's strange. It's hard to know what makes us happy. How we feel about things is altogether different than how things are objectively. And happiness is all about how we feel, not how things are objectively. Are we agreed? It's a subjective thing. It's, it's a function of our expectations. If our expectations are higher than our circumstances, it doesn't really matter how well we are doing objectively. I mean, this was proven to be true even with monkeys. They did an experiment with what makes monkeys happy. So, you know, they gave these monkeys a banana in the morning. They didn't used to get that. And so it made them very happy. But then just after a few days, you know, their baseline happiness just went back to what they were before. A banana didn't do the trick. You had to give them two bananas to make them happy again. See, they come to expect a banana in the morning. And once you come to expect something, getting that is not going to make you happy. It's just something you expected. Right? That's how things work. So, basically, what happens is that it's not enough you get what you want. You get what you want, it'll make you happy for a bit, but then your expectation rises to match what you got. Then what you need is even more. And you see where this goes. <laughs> it's a hamster wheel. It just... So... Here is the, the big question. Is your reality better than or worse than your expectation? That's the function that determines how happy you are. So, it's a subjective thing. It depends on how you judge your life. It depends on how you're judging it to be better or worse than how you feel you should be doing. Right? That makes sense. And this is why success does not lead to happiness, but happiness leads to success. You succeed, and it just, it's not enough. This is why even like rich and famous people, that doesn't necessarily make them happy. You know? It's foolish to think We'll be happy when we get what we want. I mean, that's the game most of us play. You know, right now, if you think about it, you think, if I get the promotion, if I get this or that, if I meet my soulmate, if I do this, if I get, uh, if I get my child to behave better, you know, that's what will make me happy. Well, that's a game that doesn't work. It's a losing game because more we get, how higher our expectations get. 
So to be happy in the long run, what we need to do is we have to address how we judge life. How we judge life. That's the ticket. Because the mind is its own place. And in itself, you can make hell out of heaven and heaven out of hell. It all depends on our expectations. And this is where faith can be so helpful. Because faith can provide not only wisdom, but power to set our minds right, our expectations right, our judgments right, so that we actually have a chance at happiness in the long run. Sounds good? Makes sense, right? So we are in a sermon series called How Faith Can Make Life Better. And today's sermon is about how faith can help us judge better. Because we constantly judge our life, judge our future, judge ourselves, judge the people around us. It's happening all the time. And faith can help us do that better. Okay, sounds good? So, let's start with today's passage. It's a well-known story from Genesis chapter 4. Now, Adam has sexual relations with his wife Eve. Bible can be saucy. (laughs) It's kind of bracing to read this in the Sunday morning, but it's from the Bible, so there we go. And what do you know? She became pregnant. That's what tends to happen. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. Two brothers, Cain and Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his offering, but he did not accept Cain and his offering. It was not good enough, I guess. Uh, Cain didn't bring good stuff. I don't know if it's because the crops were bad or because he just ate the best stuff and brought what was left over. Not sure, right? But at any rate, the Lord accepted Abel's stuff. Cain's was rejected, right? And this made Cain very angry, understandably, and he looked dejected. He's not happy about this. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. I mean, I think that's a little rhetorical, right? I mean, why would you know? Why wouldn't you know why he's not? He's angry. It's obvious why he's angry, right? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. So obviously, God knew why he was angry. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. That didn't go well. Cain did not control his anger. It just spiraled out of control. Sometimes siblings fight, right? Uh, Usually it doesn't go to murder. At least hopefully it doesn't. But in this case, it really went out of control, right? 
So this murder happens. Afterward, Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. I guess he's lying. Am I my brother's guardian or brother's keeper? That's a very famous phrase, right? Am I my brother's keeper? Have you heard that phrase? You know, some people use this to evade responsibility, right? So very early on in human history, this comes up. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. It's basically kind of saying, look, the blood went into the ground and ground is unhappy and the ground is going to reject you. Right? Something like that. There are consequences to murdering. It's not going to go well for you. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. He's not happy about these consequences. He doesn't want to be banned from God's presence. Even though the relationship doesn't seem to be that good. He still doesn't like it. And the Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the famous mark of Cain, right? So apparently a protection. It's not like a branded thing. It apparently protects him. It's interesting. But anyway, this is a well-known story. Most of you have, know this story, right? Very well-known story. It's the first murder in human history recorded in the Bible. It happens really early. It's only the second story told in the Bible. And it's actually connected to the first story told in the previous chapter. In the previous chapter, Adam and Eve had just eaten from the tree of judging between good and bad. As a result, they have to cover themselves up because they judge themselves to be lacking. have to cover them up. Then they judge each other, right? Adam blames Eve for all the trouble. The woman you put here with me, she caused all the trouble. Blame her, right? And then they even judge God. They hide from God. They judge God to be unsafe. And this is called original sin that causes all human problems. And at first glance... It doesn't seem like such a big deal. I mean, knowing and judging between good and bad. I mean, wouldn't you even think that's a good thing? Why, why is that original sin, that the worst of all sins? As a pastor, I've been asked that question by people who would go, well, why is that such a big deal? Have you ever wondered that yourself? What is so wrong about knowing between good and bad, judging between good and bad, that it would cause all subsequent human problems? I mean, it's a mystery, right? At first glance, it doesn't seem like such a bad deal. But you see, it doesn't take long before we see murder because of judging. Now, murder is a big deal. Now, that's a problem. 
Are we agreed that murdering is a problem? That's a huge problem. That's a no-no. And it happens because of judging, right? It's all because of judging between good and evil or good and bad. You see, Cain kills his brother out of poisonous brew of insecurity and rage, wouldn't you say? I'm pretty sure it took some time for things to get to this place. Right? It, it boils, brooding and boiling, rage, building and building, right? I'm rejected. But my brother, the Lord accepted Abel and his offering, but he did not accept Cain and his offering. And this made Cain very angry. See, Cain feels judged to be lacking. Not good enough. Just like Adam and Eve felt they were lacking, Cain felt he was lacking. And out of that judging of self, he places the blame outside on Abel. Just as Adam blamed Eve for all the trouble, I'm sure Cain is brooding and saying to himself, it's Abel's fault. You know, that little runt You know, I, when I was born, I had all the love. I was the only one around and I, you know, right? And then that little runt comes along and he takes everything. Right? Who does he think he is? I am the firstborn. He's the little one and he's showing me up. Right? He's like parading around. He's doing better than me. Who does he think he is? Uppity little... Right? I mean, that's what's going on in his head. You can see that. Plain as day. He's just brooding and all this rage is brewing and brewing and building and building. And that's what leads to murder. And I'm sure he feels pretty bad about God too. He rejects me and accepts my brother. Wouldn't that make you mad? Right? God asked Cain, where's your brother? And his response is, am I my brother's keeper? How does that answer feel to you? Right? Does he seem happy with God? (laughs) I don't think so. I think he's pretty angry with God. Defiant. I mean, shouldn't he be at least a little sorry about what he's done? He killed his brother. Shouldn't he take some responsibility for this? No, instead, his answer is, am I my brother's keeper? Feels like he blames God. Feels like he judges God, actually, when you think about it, about this answer. I think he judges God for rejecting him. I mean, doesn't that happen with us? Don't we judge back those who judge us? When we get rejected, don't we reject them back? I mean, if you have really become a mature Christian, you wouldn't, right? I mean, if you're like just a mature, mature person, yes, you wouldn't. But think back to junior high. We all had junior high, okay? When you got rejected out of the popular group, think about 
I mean, maybe you were the popular group that rejected people, but just place yourself in that position because I was always rejected. I was an FOB, so do you know that phrase, fresh off the boat? So I could never belong, and I relate to Cain. Man, I judged. I mean, I felt bad about myself inside, and I judged back everyone who judged me. Be honest, okay? Don't let me be the only one who confessed to this, okay? Can you raise your hand? Those of you who can relate to this, you reject those who reject you, right? And that's what Cain does. He's rejecting. It's very human. And it all begins with feeling bad inside. If Cain was secure in himself, if Cain was all like, hey, my offerings weren't good enough this time, but next time I'll do better. No biggie. If that was his attitude, murder would not have happened, right? I mean, that's God's advice. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. Don't, don't get into this despair and judging and that dark place. You know, you, you next time do better. It's not a biggie. But Cain, no, he feels invalidated. He feels rejected, so he lashes out. All because he locates the power to validate himself outside of himself in comparison to Abel. Instead of feeling secure in the deep place in your heart, he compares himself to Abel, to outside of himself, and he begins judging. And that's a big problem, and we do this too. We measure our self-worth on external validators, on how well you're doing in your job, uh, markers of success, Having good kids, maybe. Maybe our parents' voice in our head. Expectations of the society upon us. Comparing our life to others. And when we fall short of these expectations, we can feel rejected and judged in our own head. We get dejected like Cain. We're not happy. We're unhappy because... In comparison to others and in comparison to our own expectations, we are falling short. And that's a big problem, especially since we live in the age of Facebook. See, this dynamic has been present from the very beginning, the Bible tells us, from the very first human beings. And now it's gotten so much harder because we got Instagrams, we got Twitter, we got Facebook, and people post things. Right? They used to be keeping up with the Joneses. You heard that phrase? The Joneses lived down the street. There was only one Joneses. But now the whole world has become the Joneses. We have to keep up with them. Cain had only able to compare himself with. Now we have the whole world to compare ourselves with. And what's posted is usually the good stuff, right? I mean, what do you see on the, on the stuff? You know, perfect vacation. Perfect. I mean, look at these people. Look at how that guy looks. Look at the six-pack. I, I mean, where's the dad gut? You know what I mean? I mean, come on. These are like perfect model kids. They are not like, going crazy and breaking stuff, they're just sitting there. 
Man, what kids just sit there? But they do. And then you start thinking, what is my vacation like? And you're like, oh my God. You're changing poopy diapers and you're like, you know, people, what is, it's just so hard to compare ourselves to all these things like the new homes people post, the new jobs, the new puppy, whatever people get. So then we start judging and comparing and what is my vacation like and am I earning enough and am I getting enough of recognition, of respect? Do I have enough security? Do I have enough fun in my life? Do I have enough wealth? Do I have enough this, enough that? There are so many ways to feel like we are falling short. So many ways. Our offerings fall short. We are rejected. I mean, that's hard to keep up with. So, in comparison to all these things we see all around us that set up our expectations, I'm telling you, we're going to feel like Cain. Rejected. Falling short. Not good enough. What we do, what we get, who we are, are not good enough. Our offerings are not good enough. And that's why the cross is so powerful and relevant to our life today. Because the cross deals with our judging. Right? The cross deals away with all our judging. The cross says you are infinitely worthy and valuable and accepted and validated. Not because of our offerings to God, but because of what God offered up at the cross. Not because of our offerings, but because of God's offerings. We are accepted. We are worthy. We're not rejected. It's no longer a question of whether our offerings are good enough. The, the only question that remains is, is, is whether we accept God's offerings that was made on the cross. Let me repeat that. The question is not whether God accepts our offerings, whether we are accepted, or how God judges us. The question is whether we judge God, our realities, and whether we accept God's offering on the cross. The cross says, God has accepted you. God likes you. And now let that sink in. God likes you. That's hard to believe. But it's hard to like ourselves. Do you like yourself? Well, maybe the sociopath among us will say, I like myself, you know. But for most of us, it's hard to like ourselves. It's difficult. We see our own flaws and faults. And it's hard. And we imagine God doesn't like us. See, that's what happens in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, they look at themselves. They don't like what they see. They cover up themselves. And then 
they hide from God because they imagine God doesn't like them. Just like how they see themselves. We tend to project how we see onto how others see. God likes you. It's hard to believe, but we have to believe this. This is the work of faith. Let me put it another way. If you believe deep in your heart somewhere, despite what you say you believe, if you believe in your heart God doesn't like you, it'll be hard for you to like God back. Right? We shy away, like I said, from those who judge us. If you believe God judges you, you will judge him back in some way, like Cain did. We may profess to love God, but somewhere deep in our hearts, we will be building a wall against God. If you see God as this judge over your life, who is judging you. Agreed? And that's a problem because the Bible says the greatest commandment is to love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. And you won't be able to do that if you see God in this way. So, the cross has solved that problem. The cross says, God likes you so much, He is willing to die for you. You are accepted. Don't worry about all the things that you worry about. You are valuable in God's eyes. If you believe that, if you can really believe that, if you can take that in, then what that allows, in my experience, is I begin to like myself more. I can like myself. And that, in turn, allows me to like those people around me better. And that allows me to like God better, or if you don't believe in God, allow you to like your reality better. And that's happiness, right? If you can like yourself, like the people around you, and like your reality, you're in good shape. You're in, good, you're in better shape than most people. <laughs> you're in a happy place. Wouldn't you agree? That is how faith can make life better. That's what faith does for us. Brings us joy. So let me give you some practical suggestions on how to experience that joy better and deeper. First suggestion I have is ask yourself, how are your expectations of your life set? How is it set? What are the standards you use? What are your expectations of your life? in different areas of your life? What do you expect things should be like? Is it what you see others get? Is that how you set your expectations? My brother's doing this well and getting this amount of money, so I should be doing this. Is it your parents' voice deep from the past? How is it set? Think about it for a moment. How are your expectations set? We don't have much time. Kids are coming in, so I'm going to move on. Second question, ask yourself what makes yourself worthy. When do you feel like you are a worthy person? Is it success? Is it competence? Is it having someone? I think there's a hit song right now that goes like, 
You ain't nobody till you got somebody. You know what I'm talking about? I think it's a Demi Lovato song. You can sing it. I'm not a singer. See, I'm feeling less worthy right now. I'm judging myself. I'm feeling like I lack because of him. <laughs> I blame him. You know? Anyway, it's not true, by the way. You are somebody even if you don't have nobody. Because you always have God. You got God. And God says you're worthy. But anyway, how do you judge what makes you worthy? You know, Cain compared himself to Abel. And that's how he set his worth. How do you set your worth? Take a moment to think about that. And then, keep all that in mind. How are your expectations set? How is your self-worth set? Then now, with faith, invite God to set those things. That's my final suggestion. Practice locating your worth in the love of God rather than your own expectations. All those ways you set those things, this is the work of faith by inviting God to be the judge of those things instead of being your own judge. When the Bible tells us God is the only judge, this is how it's, it should be applied. You need to make God the only judge over your life. And you need to make the cross be that judgment. And the cross says, you are accepted, you are loved, you are valued. I tell you with all the conviction I can muster, you are worthy. You are liked. Now the kids have an easier time believing that. Right? The kids have an easier time believing simply, I am liked. Until they hit junior high, then it all goes to hell. But when you're three, it's much easier to believe. This is another way that we need to be like children. Just believe you are liked. You are accepted, you are loved, you are valued. God has declared it on the cross. This is how faith makes life better. With that secure in your heart, you can be free of this this trap of a hamster wheel of rat race of going for some success, some getting what you want, and your expectation rises, you're not happy anymore, so you have to have something else, and then, even if you make it, we will never be happy unless we are secure from inside, somewhere deep, from God, in a secure place, like yourself, like the people around us, like the reality, like God. That's the work of faith. And it brings us freedom. It brings us happiness. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that we don't have to worry about our offerings anymore.
Because Christ has made an offering that is final. It is finished. It is over. No more do we have to worry about being accepted or rejected, meeting expectations or falling short. As we are, we come to you just as we are to receive this voice, this love deep in our hearts that anchor who we are and what we expect out of us, out of life. Help us right now in Jesus' name to receive this love, to set our expectations right even now, even now, help us. Come, come deep into our hearts, Holy Spirit, and speak your voice that gives life and happiness. In Jesus' name, amen.